This is the Outwith podcast, and I'm Hallam Ohedin, and I'm delighted to announce that this next series of episodes of the podcast are being produced in cooperation with The Ferret. Now, for those who don't already know The Ferret, it's an award-winning, independent, investigative media platform. Uh, Media cooperative, rather, because it's owned entirely by its readers and subscribers, of which I am proud to say I am one. Now, it delivers cutting-edge investigations, and their scoops includes investigations into UK arms sales to Yemen, animal rights abuses in Scottish farming, and nuclear safety breaches by the Ministry of Defence. And they often get their scoops well before the major news outlets. So they are well worth the reads. They like to nose up the trousers of power, keep everyone to account, and their ethos is firmly aligned with our own. And to celebrate, we're offering a special offer for our listeners as well. If you want to subscribe to The Ferret, if you use the code OUTWITH19, uh, when you sign up for a monthly subscription, you'll get the first three months free. If you sign up for an annual subscription using the code OUTWITH19, you will get £9 off your subscription. It works out to around a third off, so it's a very, very good deal. So to take advantage of this offer and to keep ahead of the game, to to find out more about the investigations both at home and abroad, head to theferret.scot, hit subscribe and use the code OUTWITH19 to take advantage of that discount. Welcome to Outwith, the podcast that takes you beyond the headlines and beyond our borders. I'm Halim Ohedin. Now, France and Italy are two of Europe's oldest and grandest nations. Both are uh, the ultimate high point in terms of arts, culture and gastronomy. And of course, both are, are founding members of the European Union. However, relations between these two countries have dipped to a staggering new low. For months now, undiplomatic barbs have been thrown between the two countries, with the Italian Deputy Prime Minister accusing France of continuing to colonise Africa, while Paris has responded that it has no intention of getting into a stupidity contest with their Italian neighbours. Now, to make matters worse... France has now recalled its ambassador to Italy, saying the situation between the two was unprecedented. And for those not versed in diplomatic speak, recalling your ambassador is the penultimate step taken before breaking off all diplomatic contact with another country. So what on earth is going on? And why haven't we heard anything about this? Well, to find out, I'm joined from Paris by the multimedia journalist and producer, Michele Barbaro. Michele, welcome to Outwith. Hi, Anna. Thank you for having me. Um, now, Michele, you're an Italian citizen yourself. You live and work in France. So do you feel slightly torn by this crisis? Where do your loyalties lie? 
<laughs> I mean, I, I do find myself in a difficult position in the sense that <laughs> uh, I'm an Italian in Paris, so of course I'm exposed mainly to the, the French point of view. Um, that said, I'm, I don't know if it's because of that, but I find myself in the position of actually agreeing more with, with the French than with the Italians, uh, even though, of course, there are there are nuances, and I'm sure we're going to discuss them uh, throughout well, this podcast. Well, <laughs> but before we get to the nuances... Just try to explain to us what's going on, because we're, I mean, I'm speaking to you from Glasgow um, in Scotland, and we are in the midst, so we're recording this in, in February 2019, and we are in the midst of Brexit, and all we hear about and all we see is Brexit, 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 and very little else. So when we stumbled across this story, France and Italy are at each other's throats, and you know one's accusing the other of colonising Africa, and the other one's calling them stupid. It's um, you know it's, that was a bit of a surprise. So can you just break it down for us? So when did this start, and what just what's behind it? It sounds mental. Well, uh, in a way, it is. Even though it's, it doesn't come as a surprise, what's come, what's what's happening right now, in the sense that uh, since last year, since the new government in Italy took over, uh, the relations between the two governments have been quite uh, bad. There's been constant bickering on several issues, mainly the migrant issue, which is of course key, mainly to Salvini, you know, the, the league, one of the two main uh, partners in, in government in Italy. Um, but not just about that. Uh, it's true that there's been an escalation in, in the last uh, month or so. Um, essentially, uh, I think due to the looming European elections, which kind of, you know, uh, have made the debate uh, more heated. What happened recently, of course, is that, you know, uh, Di Maio uh, started, you know, Di Maio, of course, the, the, the deputy PM uh, in, in, in Italy, one of the, of the key figures of this government and a five-star movement member, um, attacked France. Uh, first of all, as you pointed out, uh, accusing France of, 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 of neocolonialism, especially over the, the, this, this sort of currency that's being used in, in several African countries in the the equatorial area of, of Africa, um, which is, you know, I don't know the details, of course, I'm no economist, but it is in a way guaranteed by the French government, um, the French state. Uh, and so, of course, they, they, are, they might accuse France of, uh, of neocolonialism and, and that this is key, linking this to the migration crisis, saying essentially we are facing this migrant crisis, people from Africa are coming to Europe because countries like France keep exploiting uh, keep exploiting Africa. Uh, on top of that, you have the Yellow Vest crisis. Mm. Uh, um, uh, Di Maio, especially the Five Star Movement, and Di Maio have expressed, uh, you know, they, they support to the the, the Yellow Vests uh, for almost since the beginning of the movement, uh, and there were uh, issues with the French government over this uh, as early as as January for sure. Uh, one thing that's not being reported much is that uh, even even before the latest crisis with the ambassador and so on, uh, the Di Maio offered the Yellow Vests um, basically the, the online platform that the Five Star Movement uses in order in order to coordinate and and make decisions with the with the members. Which is uh, crazy. I mean, if we just take a step back from this, so the Yellow Vest movement for for people who you know. You might not be aware this is this sort of organic protest movement that started in France with people um, 
you know, started, I, th I think, with protesting fuel prices, no? And so they were wearing those sort of yellow high-vis jackets. Started off as, as a protest against that, yes. So, yeah. so, that, so if you just take a step back, it looks like, so De Maio is the Deputy Prime Minister of Italy, yeah? Deputy yeah. Prime Minister of Italy is offering support to a protest group in a separate country. If I'm just trying to think of an example of an equivalent here in the UK, that would be like, I don't know, Emmanuel Macron's sort of deputy, whoever that may be, sort of coming across and saying, so, I don't know, well, maybe not Tommy Robinson supporters, but, you know, sort of to pro-Brexit yeah. groups saying, hey, let's give you a hand here. And yeah. I mean, that was, I can imagine yeah. the French would be pretty peeved at that. Yeah, and not just that. I mean, bear in mind that, for example, these this comments about the, the, the online platform came basically within 24 hours of one of the of the of the rallies of the of the yellow vests who have been rallying every Saturday, which was, uh, with many respects, a violent rally. I mean, I'm not saying by any means that all yellow vests are violent. The majority are peaceful demonstration demonstrators, but there are regular clashes. Uh, I think right before he, uh, Di Maio made this statement, there was basically literally an attack on one of the ministries in Paris during these rallies uh, by the yellow vests. So this was a concern particularly like appalling on the on the French on the French side. Uh, and then of course you have something even more incredible in a way, which is Di Maio deciding to meet with Yellow Vest's representatives basically in Paris, in the outskirts of the French capital, without telling anyone uh, in the French government or <laughs> let alone meeting with them. Which you uh, don't do. You don't do that, do you? We, we, you just don't do that, exactly. I mean, I have to say that the, the French reaction among the, the French people I, 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 I hang out with was just, uh, I mean, we just, we just can't believe this happened. So, and I couldn't blame them, I have to say, in the sense that, uh, and this is, I guess, a mix of... Uh, I'm sure we're, we're going to discuss the, the the reasons behind this, but it's it's essentially a mix of you know being a you know clumsiness due to the fact that this, let's bear in mind that this guy Di Maio is I think 32 or 33. I mean he's very young and inexperienced. He's not necessarily a very uh, knowledgeable when it comes to, to, to diplomacy and 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 practices uh, at, at the top level. That said, it doesn't take a genius to know that a move like that would have you know angered uh, the yeah. French government. So there's that, but there's also a very calculated move, you uh, know, in, in order to you know, the, the idea of expressing support of the yellow vests and uh, essentially uh, putting up a fight against France ahead of the of the European elections. So we have so we have this 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 chapter Mayo, who you know I have to confess I wasn't too clued up on on who he is. Talk to us a little bit about what's happened in Italy because. Um, you know, for people who don't know who the Five Star Movement are, the the, the government that you have in, in, in Italy is, is something of a, it's an unusual one to say the least. I mean, I know Italian politics yes. is unusual at the best of times. I say this as I'm married to an Italian man. Um, mm -hmm. And whenever you bring up politics in the house, he looks for something to throw at a wall. Um, so, you know, but this is quite an unusual government that you guys have now. Talk to us a little bit about who the key players are and where... Well, you know, who is De Maio? What is the Five Star yeah. Movement? And who have they gone into power with? Yeah, and this is key also to understand the, you know, the De Maio's and uh, the League's moves recently, because essentially, I think most of this crisis with France can be explained with internal, you know, political dynamics in Italy. Essentially, in Italy right now, you have a, 
a government uh, that puts together the league, so a far right, a fairly purely far right uh, party, uh, and the five stars, uh, who um, it was are kind by of, a comedian. Though it was a comedian that started. That's this the though, Yes, a comedian. It started off as I mean, it's it's. It's it's hard to define this movement. It's definitely started off as a as an anti-system party uh, or movement. They don't like the the, name, the the label party. They prefer movement. Mm-hmm. Um, they there's a bunch of you know both left wingers and right wingers among their voters. Um, when it comes to policy, they they have some right wing uh, positions, especially for example with with immigration. But you know, on other issues, the the economy, for example, debt uh, debt and 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 public spending, they could be defined more as 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 left wing. So they're kind of hard to to define. What what is sure is that uh, this this alliance between the league and and the five star is not an easy one. Uh, they started off with fairly different programs, you know, attacking each other during the campaign. It's just that there was no other viable solution, essentially. Um, what's also even more important to know right now is that um, Salvini, the head of the of the league, and the other deputy prime minister alongside uh, Di Maio, uh, is one of the most popular uh, political figures in Italy right now. He's very good at communicating. Uh, his uh, his moves. Uh, he's very good at communications in general. His uh, support is is soaring, uh, whereas the the five star movement support is by and large going down, according to polls. And we also, by the way, not just polls. We had a couple of regional elections in which the five star movement tanked, um, whereas the the league did very well. So essentially, the five star movement finds itself in a tough spot. Uh, they they don't want to give up government now because they know that if they if we voted now they would take uh, much fewer votes than uh, than last year but they find themselves in a situation where Salvini is literally eating up their their support with with many respects um and so i think this this whole uh, crisis with france that the tones that are being used mm, uh, let's bear in mind, mainly by the five star, not particularly by by Salvini or the league, mainly by the five star against France, are also an attempt to essentially make the headlines again to present themselves as a you know a, a relevant movement with a, which is fighting a, a key battle at European level, of course, with the European elections in mind. Uh, so this is by and large a situation right now. Because because you mentioned Salvini, and we've all heard of Salvini because you know as the head of what it used to be Lega Nords, and now it's the the League, the Lega or whatever. Yeah. You know, this guy, you know, was making the headlines here. You know, for his you yeah. know, it's extremely harsh rhetoric. I think he was the chap who. I mean, you know, I struggle to name the president of Italy, but I know Matteo Salvini. You know, he's the one yeah. who was. Uh, you know, we're going to close the borders. We're not going to let these migrant ships dock. You know, there was a, a, a yeah, whole, yeah, and it was very, very hardline rhetoric. So, I mean, do you think that the, the the five star movement, who I'd always, you know, I think our impression here in the UK is, we think of them as the far left kind of, you know, they're both anti-establishment parties from what, you know, from my outsider reading of this, uh, both populist. Um, five star movement definitely anti-establishment, but you tend to think of them as more kind of veering towards the left wing. Do you think that it, it is a case that 
you know, Salvini's getting the headlines and they're feeling squeezed out of a, of a national conversation. So they're having to up the party pranks to kind of get a bit more spotlight. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Even though um, I know this is the, the view of the five star uh, abroad, but I would not say that they are uh, uh, far left at all. I mean, let's bear in mind that in Europe right now, they are in the same group as Nigel Farage. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> I didn't realize that. <laughs> just, just, just to give you an idea. But that's it. Yeah, especially now that they are in the same government with with. with Salvini, they are considered, of course, the left-wing side of, of the government, which they are not necessarily, especially when it comes to, again, to to, to migrants. But um, yeah, I mean, the fact that you, you guys heard of Salvini and not of, of Di Maio tells the whole story, I think. Uh, so let's bear in mind that in the when there are the, the elections took place last year, I think, I don't recall the, the percentages exactly, but I mean, the, the five-star movement got something like twice as many votes as the league. Whereas uh, and and so he was he was you know the five star was the the strong partner in government. Huh. Whereas uh, the second you know the, the the government you know took over, it looks like it's Salvini who's you know uh, deciding the agenda, who's making the headlines, who's uh, soaring in uh, in 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 polls. Uh, so absolutely, there is. I mean, the five stars are in a in a in a tough spot, and this whole rhetoric of you know by by Di Maio of you know saying. Uh, the the movement the wind of I think it said literally the wind of change has crossed the the Alps something like that uh, I mean this is clearly uh, an attempt to, uh, to to make the headlines again uh, and also let's bear in mind this this uh, this goes uh, hand in hand with what I was saying on the fact that they're not necessarily that left wing I mean they are attacking uh, France mainly. Uh, on the migrant issue, at the end of the day, um, I mean the yellow vests is a slightly different different story. But I mean the the whole the whole colonization issue is all related to, to the migrant crisis, and the the five stars are attacking France essentially from a right wing perspective, in the sense that their their assumption is there is a big migrant crisis right right now, and uh, Europe have to. Uh, to to deal with it as as much as as, as we do, uh, which is by itself, in a way, a right wing point of view. In the sense that not 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 any not everybody agrees on the, in Italy on the fact that there is a big you know uh, incoming flow of migrants right now. That this is a national crisis. But there has been, and to a certain extent, you know, I mean, I've been covering this migrant crisis, you know, inverted commas for you know a long time. I mean, so long mm-hmm. that we've worked together on it um, mm-hmm. uh, back yeah. in the day when we worked together. This has been going on for years and it's this is not resolved. I mean, we're talking in 2019. This has been going on for years now and it hasn't been resolved. And the situation has always been that the, um, you know, countries like Greece uh, and Italy and countries on Europe's southern flank are the ones who are bearing the brunt of this. And because of the uh, the, the treaties and what was it, the Dublin Protocol or something, I can't remember the exact terminology, but because of the, the, the states that any asylum seeker has to stay in the first country of, you know, the country they, they, they land in. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's Italy and, you know, Italy and Greece have, have long borne the brunt of this. And there is, uh, you know, there is frustration. So to a certain extent, I can understand how that hard line on immigration, a hard line on, on, on migration um, can, you know, has a lot of support, certainly 
as I say, I'm married to an Italian, so you know. I, I mean, I, I, I. Let's put it this way: from my point of view, I definitely agree that um, there is an issue with the fact that Europe has decided not to deal with this problem, right? And not, uh, and for a long time. I mean, we both recall, you know, the the deal that they cut with Turkey, in which they basically outsourced yes, the outsourcing the, the problem, and then migrant flows. And then, of um, course, the the meeting in Sharm El Sheikh yesterday. You know, yeah, another yeah. one where we're outsourcing it to Africa. Now it's a uh, exactly. So um, there is an issue there, and there is an issue of, of uh, hypocrisy as well, uh, in the sense that again. Uh, France uh, uh, attacks Italy for its uh, for its uh, xenophobia and so on, but at the same time, in in concrete terms, uh, France keeps its ports shut right now. They're they're taking in virtually no, you know, zero migrants. Um, that said, one also has to, to put things in, in in perspective. And right now, we're nowhere near the the numbers we had two or three years ago in terms of migrants arriving in That's Italy. True. And quite quite often, uh, you know, you mentioned earlier the, the issues of these migrants stranded uh, in, uh, uh, on, on boats uh, off the, the, the Italian shores. I mean, this is uh, an issue where Salvini, with, with a strong backing of the Five Star Movement as well, especially at least some key elements of the Five Star Movement and some key ministers of the Five Star Movement, Salvini literally, you know, kept these people on you know uh, afloat on a on, on a boat for for weeks while he was negotiating with Europe and we're talking we're not talking about hundreds of people we're talking about you know a few dozen max uh, and by the way Salvini is gonna uh, ha- has had some some issues issues with the with the with the judiciary as well over this in the sense that he's been accused of actually kidnapping literally the, the people it's a uh, it's it's no joke now it looks by the way, this is another issue the Five Star is dealing with because it's it's a bit complicated. But essentially, uh, looks like Salvini will not go um, on trial because he's a minister, and so the Parliament has to give the go ahead to the judges to in order to to try a minister. And uh, looks like the Parliament, including the Five Star movement, will not uh, give this go ahead, which is in itself. Another issue, another big issue for the Five Star, because the Five Star have always been the the, the pro judges uh, movement, the ones saying let the judges, you know, prosecute whoever they want. You know, there's a big issue of corruption, and uh, you know, with the political class. So we need, we are definitely pro judiciary system, and so many many of the uh, Five Star supporters uh, right now are saying you, you're kind of betraying uh, one of the original ideals yeah. and, and values. On which you were you were built, and this is another big problem the Five Star has to deal with, which is directly related to the alliance with Matteo Salvini once again. Crikey, I need to pay more attention to Italian politics. This is like the ultimate soap opera. I love it. It's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, so, it is. A I mean, it's, I mean, I understand why my husband throws things at the wall now. It's just, uh, you know. We're getting there. We always think we've got the rough end of the stick here with our politicians and Brexit, but it's good to hear it's chaotic everywhere else as well. No, but I mean, it's interesting though, because you have these populist forces who are now in government and, um, 
you know, the, the, the establishment, as it were, has, you know, has clearly lost the last set of elections. And, and, you know, it sounds like there's a bit of electioneering and posturing going on uh, anyway. I mean, how much actual governing is getting done in Italy? And, and, and do the Italian public, I mean, what do they think about the, the way things are going? Well, it's quite interesting that uh, even though, uh, you know, as I said, Salvini is really controlling the airwaves, let's put it in this way, and uh, social media and so on. So it looks like he's the one accomplishing everything. When, he, when you actually look at, the, at, at, at policies and where the money is going in terms of, of spending and policies, I think the, the fact that the, the, the five-star won big last year, much bigger than, than, than the far right, uh, is is quite visible in the sense that the, the five star are accomplishing more in terms of, of policies, or at least they are getting done more of the things that were on their uh, original program than Salvini. That said, the the the, the advantage for I'm, I'm thinking, um, for example, this uh, citizens' revenue, which is basically you know a, a minimum revenue for uh, for everybody, essentially for for all those who, who don't have a job, like a universal uh, income, or is it only for yeah. Along absolutely, uh, which is uh, a flagship measure of the five star movement. Whereas, for example, sticking to the to the economy, uh, the the so called flat tax, which which was one of the of the key measures proposed by the far right, it's I mean they, they've kept it by name, but essentially it has disappeared from. I mean they're they're not implementing it in you know in a way that's no that's anywhere near what they what they promised during the the campaign. Um, the advantage for Salvini is that many of his measures, the, the the measures he proposes and and uh, and he takes home, are uh, basically uh, they don't cost any money. You know, uh, he uh, he uh, came up with this this idea of a security decree, which is essentially a crackdown on immigration. But it's it's basically a series of measures that don't don't cost anything, and so he he can easily get done some of the things that he that, that he promised. Uh, and presenting himself as the big, you know, implementer, the the, the guy who, who who keeps his promises. But when you actually look at, you know, the, the tough choices, when you actually have to decide where to put the very little money that the Italian state has, I think the five stars so far has accomplished more than uh, than, uh, than than Salvini. Uh, again, it's 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 hard to say what uh, Italians believe. I mean, it's it's certain that right now Salvini's support is going up. And uh, and uh, the five stars support is going down, uh, but also you know you don't want to trust polls too much. And the regional elections that we had recently, even though I'm the first person who mentioned them earlier, I mean the five star has always done poorly in regional elections. They always had like very little presence on the ground, so uh, they're, they're not an indicator necessarily. Uh, let's let's see what happens. The other issue is that you have a. a an opposition which is basically in complete disarray right now. <laughs> the, that sounds the, familiar. The, the social democrats are are virtually non-existent. They've been bickering among themselves. They're trying to to pick an, a new leader. They're going to hold primaries soon. So hopefully we're going to have a you know a real opposition in parliament soon. Because regardless of what you what you believe, it's not a healthy condition. Not essentially not having an opposition that does its job in in, in parliament. So. Let's see what happens, and let's see what, ha- what happens with the with the European elections, of course. Well, amen to that, sister. Um, let's, <laughs> let's, so this is the context of Italy. This is what's going on with Italy. Um, France, I imagine, feeling slightly aggrieved 
by the last uh, by the events of the last few days? I mean, what's the other than just you know? I mean, are they taking any of this seriously? Is this just like you know, an, an irritant, seeing it as the posturing that, that that it is? Or I mean, how, how are the French reacting to this? And is this likely to cause any kind of significant long term harm? I mean, I don't think so. Of course, the reaction has been one of uh, of anger, and uh, they've been appalled. And uh, you know, they, they, as you said, they they took a very you know tough measure. You know, recalling the ambassador who was, by the way, now returned to to, to Rome. Um, I think this particular crisis is not gonna go. Uh, uh, far in the sense that, you know, again, the Italian president has weighed in now and uh, he's going to meet with the with, uh, with Macron. Uh, that said, I mean, I, I I don't think the the relations between Italy and France are going to improve anytime soon, honestly. Um, uh, how can I put it? There was, even though they will always find a way to essentially not make things too serious. There was a great column in a, in a French magazine recently that said, you know, uh, the French and the Italians, they, they never really liked each other. They always bicker. But in the end of, at the end of the day, they are, I think that the expression they used was that they are doomed to agree or at least to find an agreement because at the end of the day, you know, the ties are so strong. Uh, you know, the, the commercial, cultural ties as well. I mean, we, uh, the French like to, to, to say that they are very different from 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 Italians, but actually they're not. I mean, <laughs> I think honestly, after living a few years here, I can tell you that the 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 attitudes, the the stuff that's being debated publicly, uh, so what's making the headlines, the reforms that are being discussed, the problems are roughly the same on both sides of the of the of the border. That said, it it this is true. This is a moment where, in terms of governments, the French and the Italian governments could not be further away uh, from, from one another. Um, so just tell us about that. So in Italy, we have, you know, it looks like a, a populist government that's tearing itself apart, an, an uneasy alliance, if you like, but certainly on the more populist end of the spectrum. Emmanuel Macron, the, the, the current French president, I mean, he didn't come from an established party either. Could you argue that he's a populist in some regard? Uh, I mean, it depends on how you define populist. I don't think you can if you um, uh, if you define populism as a, as movements uh, that come up essentially with easy solutions to solutions that look way too easy to difficult problems. I don't think Macron is populist with that respect. Um, uh, I, I, by the way, I this is completely irrelevant, but I, I disagree with his politics. Uh, uh, a lot, essentially, but um, I think he's presenting, uh, even in his communication, he's presenting himself as quite the opposite uh, of the populist, you know, wave uh, that's uh, that's typical of, of, of France, Italy, and and most European countries really right now. Uh, Macron, even with regard to to Europe, you know. Uh, now it's it's kind of fashionable to say that Europe needs to be reformed, but behind these these statements, I mean, you have openly uh, Eurosceptic movements and parties, including both ruling parties in Italy, so the Five Star and and, and League, and uh, on the other side and on the opposite side of the, of the spectrum, you've got the, among other other people, you've got Macron, who's being you know reinforcing and strengthening the, the ties with Germany, for example, and who's basically 
proposing, yeah, a, a, a reform of Europe with some respects, but it's, uh, there's much more continuity between him and the people in power in, uh, in Brussels right now than there is between those people and, uh, and the Italian government, for example. That's, that's for sure. So, so it, it, it almost looks like, you know, perhaps the, the, the sort of tension between France and Italy, and maybe, you know, perhaps I'm just sort of paraphrasing here or going off on one, but, you know, you have a, a very much a pro-European administration in France and a Eurosceptic administration in Italy. Is this perhaps, you know, we're painting a picture of the wider tensions throughout Europe within this European project. I mean, you mentioned that there were these uh, you know, European elections coming up. The UK obviously won't be, be part of those. But I mean, these elections are going to be quite significant because there's long been that tension uh, within Europe about the, the you know, Eurosceptic forces now seem to be gathering in a bit of strength. And it, it certainly looks like it's going to be one to watch. Yeah, I mean, I really think this this is a moment when these tensions you're talking about will, will come to a head. And uh, as we, we maybe didn't talk about this uh, enough so far. I mean, the all these uh, this uh, this this path between uh, Italy and France and these moves from the the Italian government and the Five Star Movement. I mean, they are clearly done in the light of the looming European elections. And in which, by the way, the, the five, both the Five Star Movement and the League are trying to kind of form alliances with similar movements and, and parties all over Europe, including the Yellow Vests. I mean, one of the official reasons, actually the official reason why uh, Di Maio decided to meet with the Yellow Vests was essentially to, to, to hammer out a deal or at least to, to start working on, on a possible deal to, you know, to... To, to have you know uh, an alliance following the European elections, um, but the Yellow Vests aren't a political party. I don't get that. Are they, you know, they a, a, a Eurosceptic party now? They are. They are. Um, there is talk of uh, of them actually taking part in the European elections. Oh wow! Very, yeah, absolutely. It's it's very unclear how. I mean, they formed already a list for the European elections, which very much fell apart already uh but it's pretty sure that they are going to take part in the elections in some way it's uh, it's unclear how they even themselves they don't know how yet but i mean it's it, as i said the the the, the five star are in the the same group as as farage right now in the european parliament but it's not i don't want to paint them as as far right either this was not an easy choice for them i mean the the left wing of the of the movement never really uh, agreed with this this decision to enter uh, to become part of this of this group with uh, with, with which includes you know the pen and so on. Uh, so it's it's pretty clear that that you know uh, Di Maio is looking for a uh, a plan B essentially or at least a different you know a different scenario following the elections and, and different and new alliances following the elections which potentially could include the the yellow vests absolutely. So. This Euroscepticism that we're that we're seeing within the the the, the five star movement and the you know and the league, I mean, are they in favour of Italy leaving the European Union? I mean, is this something that the, is is that where their Euroscepticism wants to take them? Are they wanting to pull Italy out of the the European projects? Um, so they they say this is not the case. 
um, there there has always been some some level of ambiguity over this in these parties, and especially when they were basically in negotiations to form a government. Uh, for example, there was a big uh, problem when essentially they they picked as economy minister a guy who had literally come up with the with the so-called uh, Plan B to leave the 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 eurozone. Essentially, mm-hmm. he literally wrote a document in which he said, "If we ever had to leave the the euro, we uh, would have to uh, do this and this and this." And in particular, he said we should would have to do this overnight without you know warning anybody because otherwise the, the markets would like destroy us. Uh, so the fact that they picked this guy <laughs> for, for economy minister sure. uh, caused caused a stir. In the end, he, they picked somebody else, but this mm-hmm. guy is still in government in a slightly different um, uh, role. Uh, dealing with European affairs, by the way, which is <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, so all this to say that even though they they are all saying um, no, we are not uh, for uh, um, an Ital exit or uh, or even Italy leaving the eurozone, it is clear that there is some ambiguity over this, and they uh, uh, they are eurosceptic in the sense that they they they've always strongly criticized essentially the way. Uh, Europe has behaved so far, uh, also with some reasons, by the way. I mean, uh, especially the Five Star have been criticizing the, the austerity approach of the European Commission for for years. And then, of course, I mean, you, you have you have to, of, of course, the, the statements that a party and the, and the leader makes, you know, before they are in government, when they're in an electoral campaign, or when they are just a, a very young movement, you know, it was. Just born, they are not the same as the ones uh, that, that came from their mouths after they 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 started governing the country. Luckily, oh, I mean, it. I mean, it's easy to hurl rocks at something when you're not in charge of it. You know, it's uh, it's an altogether different prospect once you're in power. And this is, what, I mean, which I find why I find it so so interesting. Obviously, our national conversation here in the UK is very much about Europe and about you know. Mm. Do we want to be part? Well, for the most part, it's about what the backstop is, and I can count on my hands the number of people who understand what they're talking about. But that's mm-hmm. a separate issue. But mm-hmm. that you know, we're now being forced in this country to have conversations about you know what are the alternatives or what is your vision. If these guys are you know they're wanting to leave the EU, they're very Eurosceptic. I mean, what's the vision? What's the solution? These are the conversations we're having here. I mean, are those the kind of conversations that you're seeing? I guess not just in Italy, but in France as well, especially if these yellow vests are going to pitch up and be like, okay, cool, we're running for office. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I think if I have to to express a, a, an opinion on that, I would say that both in France and in um, in, in Italy, you do have some talks of like, you know, leaving the European Union or leaving the the the, the Euro, but they're very much like uh, bar chatter. I don't know if you say it in English. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not, uh, I mean, when it comes to serious, uh, you know, proposals and, and talks and, and positions and, and, uh, and stances by the people who matter, not just pro-European ones, but mind, I mean, also the, uh, also the, for example, into the five stars and, and so on, or, uh, or the league or in France, uh, Marine Le Pen, who's, you know, the head of this far right party, which is clearly Eurosceptic, but there, nobody's seriously talking about leaving the Eurozone or leaving the EU. Um, I think it's it's been uh, also measured in in polls, by and large, 
uh, most people in France and in Italy are for European Union. They don't want to leave it. Uh, that said, yeah, sometimes uh, uh, when you have you know disgruntled demonstrators, you do see uh, you know signs uh, calling for Frexit, for example, among the Yellow Vest. And the Yellow Vest is a is an interesting movement that no one has quite understood yet. I mean, that, that, which includes a lot of very different. You know positions and 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 stances on on virtually everything. So it's uh, yeah. of course you do have uh, a, a pro Brexit element as well, but I would not say that's that's the the, the majority. And in terms of uh, you know in France, you know the, the the elections, the presidential elections were just you know a couple of years ago, and there was just one candidate who really pushed for Brexit. And uh, you know he got probably 0.9 percent, something along those lines. I mean, it, this is I would I wouldn't say that in Italy or in France these are uh, mainstream relevant you know positions at all. But it is but it is a defining conversation with the the, the European elections upcoming. I mean, how's Macron was obviously very pro-European when he accepted. You know, when he was announced president, he walked out to the you know to the European anthem. You know, that was something that did not go unnoticed. Yeah. He seems to be under quite a bit of pressure from these yellow vests, who incidentally, my favourite interview I've seen with the leader of the yellow vest movement was when he told the interviewer that they would rather Macron resigns and they would have a general in charge. So, you know, up. Which, which data. By the way, <laughs> data, by just the way, like that. <laughs> by the way, this is the guy, if I understand who you're talking about, uh, whom uh, Di Maio met with oh, in crikey. Paris. Oh, which is, I mean, Causing you know you know very angered reactions from the yellow vests themselves. So yeah. you know many of them said you know this this guy is not representing us. I yeah. mean, we well, you are, know because a military coup. Yeah, uh, calling so, for a military uh, coup on primetime radio. Not really the yeah. kinds of thing you expect to see <laughs> in Europe 2019. Anyway, but, but to come back to that point, you know. Is you know we do hear about the yellow vest movement here in France, and it is something that certainly the the, the more fringe populist elements in this country like to to you know to, to pivot towards. And oh yes, we're you know I think we've got some some um, some very you know very vocal pro Brexit supporters who've now taken to start wearing these high vis jackets when they're um, hectoring MPs on the way to Parliament. Mm. So we are hearing about this yellow vest movement. Um, you know, how much of a threat is this to Macron? Is he, is he losing control? Uh, I mean, it's it's uh, hard to say. I don't think so. I think uh, when the movement first started, and uh, when we saw it was continuing, you know, beyond like a couple of weeks or so, uh, there were. I mean, many many papers started talking about like the the most serious crisis for the the French state uh, mm -hmm. since 1968. I mean, that was the the comparison uh, that they drew. Um, it's it's hard to tell. Uh, it's it's very interesting that, by the way, this has been a, a, a an incredibly successful movement in the sense that they started off, as you were as you were saying, just uh, calling for uh, basically the, the 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 freeze, the suspension of a of a tax, a very specific tax, a fuel tax hike, mm. uh, which was granted by by Macron alongside a, ser a series of other measures for for retired people and so on. Uh, I think like three, four weeks into the, 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 the movement. Uh, so this, it was very successful with their respect, except they, they switched to a broader 
more, uh, let's say, vague, you know, <laughs> stances, including uh, direct direct democracy, uh, Macron's resignation, which is not vague, but it's uh, not very realistic. Um, that said, I mean, uh, it's sure that the, the the numbers have gone down by and large, but I don't see them as uh, you know nowhere near. Uh, disappearing, honestly. Huh? Uh, I mean, last uh, last Saturday, I think the numbers were slightly up compared to the the Saturday before. Um, so I wouldn't say. Uh, again, it's 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 too early to 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 tell where this movement is going and how big a risk it will be for Macron. I think right now uh, this has become you know part of the French you know normality <laughs> in a yeah. way. Um, and it's, it's also interesting. It's uh, you also have to factor in a certain like yellow vest fatigue among the, the French public. I think uh, something like 10 days ago or so there was a poll, which was the first poll according to which uh, the French said, even though they, they still agreed with the yellow vest in general, they, they the majority of the French for the first time, they said, we also hope though that the movement is going to you know uh, be over soon. Uh, so that, that was, a, a, I think, a, a watershed moment when it comes to to, to to French political opinions, you know, among the public. Uh, let's see. I, I I can't tell you right now if it's uh, where it's gonna go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see what happens with the European elections. I wouldn't say it's it's right now uh, uh, an extremely serious risk that threatens the very the very uh, existence of the Macron presidency. It's it's certainly a major pain uh, for Macron. That's that's for sure. Yes, it's a, a pain if you live in a if you live in um. Paris as well. Um, I, I hear someone's trying to get a hold of me, you, McKinley. So just super quick. Um, what do you think happens you next? The call, don't you worry. <laughs> so, so we, you know, we have the, so France and Italy. You know, relations are bad, but you know, they're not going to get better anytime soon. Essentially, Europe and Euroscepticism kind of at the heart of a lot of this. We've got these elections coming up. What do you think? Is likely to happen next. Like, what, what should we be kind of looking out for with this story? With respect to the relations between uh, France and Italy, I guess or... with everything. I mean, because <laughs> they they seem they seem kind of linked in a way, don't they? I mean, it seems to me that the, you know, the big thing that's going to come to our heads that that will maybe determine which direction all of this takes is going to be the European elections and what happens there. I guess the yeah. relations between France and Italy, they'll have taken a hit with recent events, and that's going to take some time to get, you know, to recover from. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure the, uh, you know, with, with the European elections, at the very least, uh, one of the main reasons for uh, uh, for both sides, you know, France and Italy, to to kind of use a, uh, you know. Harsher uh, and more violent tones will uh, will subside. That's for sure. Uh, that said, I I do think that the, you know the the whole balance within Europe between these two main forces that we talked about. You know, the, let's let's say broadly, you know, the the the, the pro Europe and the and the Eurosceptics. Let's put it this way: the whole equilibrium is going to change because it's pretty clear that you know the. Uh, the, uh, the 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 latter, you know, the Eurosceptics are probably going to win big in these uh, in, in these elections, um, and so a bunch of uh, this will have a, a huge impact on uh, 
uh, on the on on policy making in a bunch of, of, of places, including Italy. I mean, uh, just to give you an idea, this uh, all this uh, this uh, spat with France comes uh, right after a, a big, you know, a, a very tough negotiation that the, the Italian government uh, had with the with Brussels over budget rules, essentially over how much spending. Italy could do. You know, there are some very strict rules on on, on deficit and, and debt ceilings and so on. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, both Salvini and Di Maio, who uh, during the campaign said, you know, we we are going to change the rules, we're going to spend more, which, by the way, are all, you know, acceptable positions. I mean, one can, can argue over the necessity of actually spending more and, you know, uh, putting an end to, 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 to austerity, essentially. Uh, but the, what happened in the end is that they they failed in this negotiation. I mean, the, the Brussels were, was clearly stronger. The, the power of, of markets, investors, and uh, uh, European institutions prevailed. So at, in the at the end of the day, Italy could not you know spend much more than they, it was already doing. All this can potentially change. I mean, all all these these, these rules can potentially change if you have a, a completely different kind of majority in parliament uh, and this is just one aspect you know another aspect of course is the way you deal with immigration or you know uh, of course you know europe can be uh, i think from my point of view rightfully accused of uh, of having ignored uh, the crisis and, and sidelined the, the migration crisis but i mean at least uh, you, you cannot argue that the, the people in power in Brussels right now are openly xenophobic and so on. Whereas, uh, you know, some of the of the parties who are, you know, on on track to, to win big in May uh, are exactly that, you know, openly xenophobic. Uh, so I, I'm actually, I'm really embracing for these elections yeah. and I think quite, quite a lot is going to change. But and when people see the example of essentially what's going on here with this, you know, these negotiations between the EU twenty seven and and Britain, and you know, very few observers would conclude it's going well. Um, mm-hmm. Does this not impact in any way on people's view of, you know, taking on Europe or going it alone? Is that, or does this not factor in any of the thinking? Um, I think. It's it's interesting that Brexit is. I'm sure it is, it is the story for the UK. Yeah. But it's not. I'm not saying it's it. It doesn't exist. Uh, it's not part of the headlines in uh, French or Italian media, for example. But it's it's nowhere near being as as important as one would uh, would imagine, or as, as 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 you or I would imagine. I mean, we we deal with this story every day. Um, uh, maybe it's it's uh, it's a problem, by the way, eh? because it is indeed a, <laughs> a big story. And the way yeah. the UK breaks away from the EU, uh, it, it's of course a huge story. But it, it's it's kind of interesting. I have never um, I have never really uh, uh, thought about the fact that it, it's true. This is largely absent, actually, from the from the headlines. It's crazy. Uh, it, I mean, I guess this is it's it's essentially an issue of. Uh, of uh, of Brexit fatigue, really. Yeah. Uh, well, there's course, a lot of that going around here. I have to be. Exactly, <laughs> See, you guys are nodding furiously. As, as you say, <laughs> it's very hard to understand uh, what the hell is going on with the UK government. Uh, you know why exactly a majority of MPs are against uh, Theresa May's deal. The backstop, as you said, it's uh, it, it's it's a mystery. Uh, so, of course, 
I mean, when I'm sure that you know, when it comes to big moments like 29th of March, of course, everybody has got you know their eyes on, on that date, and it is being discussed. Maybe I I took it too far when I said it, it, this is absent from uh, from the from the headlines here. It, it is uh, one of the stories, but um, I, I guess the idea is uh, let's you know wait and see until we we know uh, wh- which way we're going essentially in the sense that uh, until especially the UK government and the UK parliament make up their minds about what they what they want because that's one of the problems right i mean the the eu officials are saying essentially we, we still don't know exactly how the uk government wants us to change the the, the agreement that, that we we reached uh, a while back so it's kind of hard to make even if we were open to reop you know reopening and renegotiating this thing which Looks like they are not, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be kind of hard because it's uh, there's there's no clear stance on the on from the other side. And now we have waded into the conversation that we are having in perpetuity over here. We're just this is all we ever hear about. It's the Brexit. Yeah. What do we want? We don't know. When do we want it? Yesterday. <laughs> um, so let's uh, we're straight on to Brexit. Let's try and stray back off onto more palatable topics. Uh, let's say, um, crikey, a lot to a lot to chew on there, Michaeli. Um, I'm going to let you go because I know a lot of people have been have been buzzing you. Before we leave, is there, is there anything that you think our listeners should take away from our conversation, like? If they want to read more about it, if there's anything people should be keeping an eye on, what are your sort of final thoughts? Uh, my final thoughts are that um, in terms of things to uh, how to inform yourself, you mean? how to well, just, uh, what, what do you think of the, you know, the, if people want to keep finding out more about this, is there anything that we should take away? Is there anything that's, that's super important, an underlying theme or something? That you think people okay. should should take away from our chat. I think the underlying theme should be that uh, this is uh, mainly about you know Italian politics essentially uh, and French politics as well in the sense that the the again I'm going to repeat myself but the European elections are going to change a lot with this respect as well. Um, you know, by the way, I, we haven't mentioned that uh, Macron. And his government have uh, have had some pretty harsh and violent, you know, words mm-hmm. <laughs> against Italy as well. I think my comment at some point said something like, uh, you know, I I am a friend of the Italian people, and uh, the Italian people deserve uh, good leaders. <laughs> you know, something on the line. So it's not like the, that's not very comp- diplomatic either. They're not completely exactly. They're not completely innocent on the other side of the of the Alps as well, which is. The side where I find myself in, by the way, right now. Yeah. Um, um, that said, I, I do think this is mainly about Italian politics right now and the the equilibrium between, you know, the five star and uh, and and Salvini. Uh, a lot of this, I think, is going to change after the elections. A, a lot of this would change, um, I think, if for internal reasons, you know, the the the, the five star movement. Found itself in a better position compared to to Salvini, which you know, in in a in a in an era of you know very fluid politics, can easily happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or you know, it's it's enough for uh, the 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 left uh, to to kind of have a comeback in Italy, and that could be a, you know that that could be an option, for example, of alliance between the left and the 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 five star, which would be an alternative to the current. Alliance between Salvini and and the uh, and the far and uh, and uh, the five star. So again, I think uh, I do think that the, the very you know 
the, the very tiny developments that make the headlines every day with respect to this crisis will not go far in a sense the situation will go back to to normal uh, quickly but by normal i mean still a state of uh, of constant uh, tension at the very least okay. constant, constant tension over immigration because again immigration will remain a key story in italy a key uh, element on the agenda for the forces that are in, in power right now and and spending as well because these are the two the two big issues that are being discussed in italy immigration and where do we find the money to uh, for u- universal revenue and uh, and the, the spending measures that we have in mind and on both things uh, essentially the italian government and the french government find themselves on uh, opposite sides so the the underlying tensions between the two countries or rather the two governments right now will will remain i think well i think constant tension is the new normal pretty much everywhere it has to be said so there's <laughs> a, a nice optimistic note to end on thank you very much michaeli it has been awesome chatting with you today um yeah, if you want to hear more from Michele, he is, of course, on Twitter at Michele Barbaro. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, Michele. Um, he tweets in English, French and Italian. We will, of course, send that out on our feeds. And, of course, if you want to keep your focus on the sort of in-depth stories that don't often feature in the traditional media, do check out our sponsors, The Ferrets. This award-winning investigative platform is fiercely independent and as a cooperative, it's owned by its readers and subscribers. Now, I am one. If you want to be one too, uh, we have got a special offer for you. If you head to the website, theferret.scot, sign up using the code OUTWITH19, that's OUTWITH19, you can get £9 off an annual subscription. That's about a third off, which is a pretty good deal, actually. Um, Or you can get your first three months free if you're signing up on a monthly subscription. So just head to the website, theferret.scot, to take advantage of this offer. And do remember to use the code OUTWITH19. And uh, that's about, crikey, we've been here for almost an hour. Uh, thank you so much, Michaela. It's been great chatting to you from Thank France. you, Hala. Great talking to you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to hit subscribe. And uh, our next episode will be dropping in your podcast app very, very soon. All the best and bye for now.